Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Anand Patel. And I'm Naomi Sheldon. And we're your hosts of The Pleasure Podcast. I'm a doctor specialising in sexual function. And I'm a writer with an interest in the internet. We talk to guests to help us understand the relationship we have with our bodies when it comes to sex and intimacy. It's a whole new kind of sex education for your owl... Careful. ...pleasure. (laughs) In this week's episode of The Pleasure Podcast, we talk to the incredible writer and illustrator Flo Perry. Flo's work on BuzzFeed regularly goes viral and she has just published the wonderful... How to Have Feminist Sex, a fairly graphic guide. This joyful and sexy book is filled with Flo's gorgeously drawn humans that don't just decorate the pages, they populate her world. Flo proudly reclaims the word slut and we talk dating apps, sending nudes and ghosting. We learn her top tips for one night stands, how to learn what turns you on and how to end a date without causing offence, even if it's five minutes after you've sat down. It's a warm-hearted trip through the issues affecting women today. An overlooked tactic for body acceptance that no one talks about is having sex and realising that someone else finds you sexually attractive exactly as you are. That's really interesting. And if you have a partner that is nice to you, and I encourage you to do this with your own partner, and it's like, I love the way this part of your body looks, and like, yes, I find this sexually attractive, that can be like absolutely transformative. I used to have a boyfriend actually, he used to kiss my tummy and say, hello tummy, and give it kisses. And I have to say, it really made me feel so much better about my yes. body. That bit being almost worshipped, loved, yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful, I love that. <laughs> but I think there's a sense of, well, I mean, I, I certainly find that, you know, when my partner says that sort of thing, I just almost don't believe them. Aww. And I don't know whether that's just been something that's always been there. Just going, well, yeah, I know you say that, but maybe you're just being nice. I genuinely think he probably actually quite likes my belly. But I think it's just more in my head that actually it's not an acceptable thing to have. Even though, you know, there's a whole like gay theme called bears. Of which yeah, I, I was going to within... say, I thought it would be like, gay men are really good at this. Like, they're really <laughs> good at like finding a, every single little thing to fetishize <laughs> and making huge like Instagram hashtags of it. Talking of Instagram, I think you give some really interesting good tips about following people who look like you, who celebrate that part of their body or celebrate that body type. Yeah, totally. I think that if you can find someone like, for me, if finding someone to follow with a double chin on Instagram who would like not try and hide it and just post pictures of them looking like totally glam with an obvious double chin, I was like, great, I can do that. that like that's possible. It makes you feel great. It sounds like a lovely idea to actually um, experience your own body as perceived by other people, but you know, it, nice people, you know, people yeah. who are generous and kind and, and lovely to your bits, and, or actually want to see that in the person they're having sex with. And like, not everyone is nice. I have also had like negative body image experiences with partners that have made me feel like worse about myself, and I'm sure like lots of other people have. If your partner goes to you and is like, oh, I feel really fat today, don't be like, well, why don't you? Go on a diet then. Like, it's just not helpful. Be like, I think you look great. I love you exactly as you are. Yeah. In part of the body image steps chapter, you illustrate this 
brilliant part about telling yourself that you're beautiful and there's a character here who goes through different stages of yeah. reaffirming and telling herself that she's beautiful but it might not happen immediately. No, I think it's a, it's a process. You start with just accepting yourself as you are and then if you focus on what your body can do or what it feels like rather than what it looks like and then if you like go through these processes and eventually you might look in the mirror and think actually I like how this looks. I think I look hot or cute or sexy or whatever it is you want to look like. And I think with the fetishization of lots of different body parts, but particularly genitals, you explore that really beautifully in the book. And actually you look at them going, they are just available in all sizes and all shapes. Yeah, thank you. I think it's really something that you uh, really learn being a slag. Is <laughs> that like porn in our media really shows such a narrow like definition of what a human body looks like. Like not just genitals, but the whole thing. And if you get about a bit, man, you see a lot. <laughs> People like really like they put on weight in different places. They like, you know, grow hair in different places. All these like variables are just absolutely amazing, I think. I think I probably I have a similar view to you because I see in a work context oh. lots of <laughs> naked bodies. So to me, I'm like, oh God, they're all body parts. Um, I love how you reclaim the word slut and slag. Thank you. I think it's kind of hot to be a slut, you know, it's like, it's naughty. It's fun. Um, yeah, and I think that I always kind of felt like that when I when I like first got called a slut. I remember thinking like me, a slut. <laughs> <laughs> Rather be devastated. Say. Do you think there still is a lot of stigma surrounding this figure that we obsess over about how many people we've slept? Yeah, definitely. It is actually really surprising how it is still a really taboo subject. And I'm shocked. Even like talking to my friends when I was like writing the book, I was like, oh, well, you know, this is what I'm writing about at the moment. And they'd be like, but there is a number that's too many. They'd be like, there must be, like, what if someone has slept with a thousand people? There must, that's, that's way too many. And I'm like, well, it really depends how old they are. <laughs> like, if someone's 60 and they've slept with a thousand people, like, that's doable, you know? And if you're 60 and you've been single the entire time, yeah. that's actually not that many people. I mean, a thousand's quite a lot. I can't do They're the maths been... quickly, but yeah, no. it's less than 100 a year, is it? <laughs> it's like 10 a year. No, just over 10 a year. It's like one a month. <laughs> that's totally doable. If anything, that's... Let's not try and hide enough. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think that it does tell you, like the number of people someone slept with does tell you how much they've prioritised being in a monogamous relationship, how often they've been single, um, how experienced they are. Like, it does tell you something, but it doesn't tell you anything about how morally good that person is or how happy that person is. I think that's a big one for women, that it's presumed that if you've slept with a lot of people, you've been unhappy. Like it, there's no popular image of like the happy slut. That's why I, like, I call myself like an emotionally well-adjusted slag in the intro because that, there's, there's not an image that we have in our media of like happy woman who doesn't, who doesn't find it hard to find a boyfriend who's just like running around the city shagging who she wants. All we had was Samantha Jones. And Sex in the City. Yeah. yeah, and even her, she's kind of like, is seen as a little bitter. Yeah. And occasionally she'd get her comeuppance though, wouldn't she? She'd be put in her place, I thought sometimes. The writing sort of edged her into a situation where she would be appropriately told off. And I thought, this isn't meant to be Samantha Jones. Samantha <laughs> Jones is meant to never be told off and never feel mm. uncomfortable mm. and never feel judged or whatever. She should literally be un unabashedly herself, <laughs> constantly. Yeah, totally. But you're right, we don't have a character in, in on TV or fiction who is a woman who is a slut or a slag, who is 
celebrated now, do we? No. I mean, gay men are meant to be, you know, have huge amounts of sex and to be liberated because actually the potential for two horny men meeting at the same time is very high. But I think there was a real sense that when I was young, I was really worried about having sex with lots of people because I'm so terrified because I'm the, of the AIDS era um, of that, the, that sex equals death. And still in my head, you know, I, th I think there's a really strong link in my head about yeah. limiting numbers yeah. because of what it means for my survival or wow. my health. Wow. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I live with two gay men, so like this is something I talk about quite a lot with them. And yeah, it like even though nowadays HIV is much less of a big deal than it was, like there you will, it's not a death sentence. The fear is still there, and that definitely holds some gay men back to from like living their best slutty lives. <laughs> And in the lesbian community, does it feel like there's a lot, much of a different attitude towards um, sleeping with lots of people and being happy? Lesbians just love relationships. <laughs> I yeah. think there's serial, enough single lesbians to be like a, a proper lesbian slag. No, that's, that's mean. That is, there is. I was reading somewhere that people were saying that you can't sleep around too much because eventually you'll end up be sleeping with somebody who's already sleeping with your ex or so, you know, that's oh my just, God. it's yeah. just impossible. I've done so much internet dating that I have had the same person five years later ask me out again. Uh, and I remembered halfway through our conversation going, didn't we go on that really boring date? And he said, yes. Yeah. Oh, so it, it, I think it happens in the world all over. Lesbians do tend to uh, love, love to double dip. <laughs> Not very good at the, the one night stand. <laughs> but that's just, I'm just being really stereotypical, but I'm allowed to be, so it's fine. <laughs> you give a brilliant guide to the ultimate one night, well, the ultimate guide to the one night stand, yeah. not to the ultimate one night stand, <laughs> but, uh, but that could be that too. Um, I love the way you describe those times that you sleep with someone and it's like your genitals have fallen in love with each other. Yeah, definitely. Like sometimes you sleep with someone and then like you wake up the next day and you think, oh my God, I love them. And you like can't stop thinking about them. Yeah, I think it's really powerful emotion sometimes you get. I think some people get it every time. Do they? Yeah, I think that's why some people find it hard to be a slut because... Oh God, that is me. <laughs> is you... Oh my God. Fall in love every oh time. Oh my God, it's exhausting. No wonder it's... Oh my God. <laughs> okay, we're having some revelations. I used to have a three shag rule. What's that? Where I wouldn't sleep with a person more than three times if I wasn't interested in having a relationship or if they, I knew they weren't interested in having a relationship, I would give myself three times I was allowed to have sex with them, um, otherwise I'd become too emotionally attached. Aww. I know, it's sad, isn't it, really? No, we think it's a very sensible thing to protect yourself like that. Yeah, you can see Why attach yourself to someone that isn't going to be available to you or you're not going to be available to them? That mm. seems very practical. Yeah, it may be, I don't know. It'd be nicer if instead of just having that rule, you'd had a conversation after three shags and been like, either like, I want to keep sleeping with you, but I don't want to be monogamous and I don't see us going like super long term, but I'm really happy with how this is at the moment. Maybe that's a mean way of saying it. It was usually the other way around, to be frank. <laughs> <laughs> it was really to protect myself from rejection. <laughs> but then if you didn't have the conversation, how did you know? You were really assuming things. Well, I mean, you probably did. Yeah. But, yeah. I think the best day I ever went on, at the end, he um, said if we could sit down and just discuss how it had gone. Wow, a debrief. This, a debrief, and I loved it. I thought it was absolutely brilliant because then I don't have to worry about actually, does he mean to text again, does he not? And all that kind of nonsense that you go, I'm waiting by your phone. Whereas actually it was just a very lovely, positive experience. I mean, it was, it was particularly nice because it was very positive in terms of a debrief. We both had a brilliant time. Yeah. But actually I thought that was a really grown up thing to do rather than actually let someone leave and then wonder. 
I had a, a period of internet dating re reasonably recently. But basically, I wouldn't have a second drink if I didn't fancy them. And I'd just tell them, I'm really sorry. Like, I, I don't see this going romantically anywhere for me. And I'd like just tell them face to face on the yeah. date. And I did it three times. The shortest was 23 minutes. The longest was like an hour and a half. I just like did it until I was sure, basically. And what was the response? They all were like grateful. Like one guy even texted me afterwards being like, thank you for being honest. Yeah. Like the last girl ghosted me, like this is way better. Yes. And I think like it's so much better, like saving yourself, not having the hangover, just have the one drink, have that adrenaline moment where you're like, I'm really sorry, like you're a really nice person, you're very attractive, you're just not for me. Yeah. And then you can go home and get like an early night and still feel great the next day and you haven't wasted time and you don't have that like awkward ghosting. And Can we talk about ghosting? I just think that it's rude. People need to get better at rejecting people. Obviously do it in a kind way. And then, yeah, they're going to be sad. And then they can just move on rather than have that like worry and that waiting, which feels Mental torture. awful. Yeah. One thing, if you're getting ghosted, big tip, ask them, are, they, are you ghosting me? If you like send a text to someone that's like an obvious reply you text and then they don't reply for 24 hours, I just like, are you ghosting me? God, you lot are like, that's super quick. I'd like to wait, wait a week. I mean, maybe I'm just used to, because I'm old, and I'm used to like letters taking forever. Or for, like, letters? <laughs> look at you. I used to write letters at university, you know. You have to wait weeks for Shut up. Okay. But genuinely, so I wait longer, because my expectation is, well, they could be busy, or maybe I'm just lying to myself. It was a bad I day. I feel like if you've got time right. to shit, you've got time to reply to a text. Yeah, I love that. You draw a picture of that somebody on the phone, on the, on the toilet. I'm like, well, yes, that's, that is me. There is another term that I came across not so long ago called orbiting, where I think, and I hope I get this right, where people will stay in your lives by giving you just an odd little tidbit, just a little text here and there, but they're not commit to anything more substantial in terms of meeting up or um, that kind of thing, just to keep them in your mind, which is another form of control. But how to extricate yourself from that, I have no idea. I think it's just important to remember that there are a lot of people in the world. You just gotta put in the effort and do some swiping and another one will just pop into your life. How do you find the dating apps? How, how I was a big fan, yeah. I really had a lot of fun. Some people express fatigue and that kind of thing. And that's... To be honest, I have a lot of time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm freelance, so. God, I was on like Gayla when it was on dial-up. And I just remember having like, a chat would take like three hours. It felt less like the swipey. Um, the swipey swipe thing, which again makes me sound really old. Um, I, I find that really sort of um, shop windowy. Um, that you know, I'm just walking past a, a series of shop windows, and it's all advertising. It just makes me feel sort of um, distanced and uncomfortable, actually. I think like the alternative though is just waiting for like you see that party in the future where you're like, okay, I've got like that colleague's birthday party. Well, I only know twenty percent of the people there. So I've got a high chance of meeting someone I can get laid with at that party in three weeks' time. And then you spend three weeks thinking, like, it's okay, I'm going to get laid at that party in three weeks' time. And then if you don't meet anyone, it's, like, disappointing and annoying, and then you've got to wait for the next one. And I'd much rather be... I, I personally am more relaxed if I'm, like... I know it's in my control that I can just meet someone whenever I like on a swipey swipe. <laughs> I, I'm converted. I'm converted. <laughs> Do you find that um, on the dating apps, people in general are looking for relationships or they're looking for sex? I think whatever you want, you can find it out there. Certainly in the big lovely city that we live in, London. So if we did decide to have a one night stand, yeah. could you take us through your guide? 
Oh, my guide is basically just a selection of mistakes that I've made. <laughs> uh, the big one that I made is if you're going to the loo in the middle of the night, get very precise directions. Because once I opened the door thinking it was going to be the toilet, and I put the light on, and it was the person's younger brother, Ooh. and he said, five more minutes, mum." Oh God, he's <laughs> so sweet. And I was like, a little bit sad. <laughs> uh, so yeah, don't do that. But use protection, that's the other big thing, because uh, yeah, you, chlamydia meds give you diarrhea. <laughs> Something no one ever tells you. Do you feel that there's a lot of stigma around um, chlamydia and STIs? Yeah, but slightly rightly so. I feel like you need this a healthy amount of stigma. Like, you don't want to treat like chlamydia like getting a cold. You need to be like, learn your lesson. Like, it's funny getting chlamydia once dumb getting it twice that's that's on you you should you should learn <laughs> but you know some things like um, I, you are the doctors you probably know about this but it seems like gonorrhea you can get from literally everything these days how do you avoid gonorrhea uh, condoms uh, although oral sex you can get, you get it from oral sex can, it can sit in the throat as well oh yeah. yeah rectum so it can, it can be in multiple places it's getting more difficult it's increasing in the number of people and the, and the amount of people that are getting transmission and also it's increasing in drug resistance so there are some forms that are multiple drug resistant. So actually then that's incredibly difficult to treat because there's no drug that treats it. So there's a couple of cases in the UK where there are no drugs that treat it. And you're kind of going, well, what do you do with these people? You're just hoping that the infection itself just burns itself out. I'm, Chlamydia is invisible yeah. in most people. I mean, and that's the problem because it can cause um, pelvic inflammatory disease and, disease and um, infertility, infertility in, in women later in life. So it's really important to get yourself checked. But you're quite right. All of the um, STIs are becoming greater in number um, apart from diagnosis of HIV. But I mean, I think the numbers are still going up in heterosexual populations. They're coming down for the first time in homosexual populations. So it's, yeah, it, it's really exciting in lots of ways, but actually, you know, people are still having a lot of condomless sex. A lot yes. of that, I think, probably driven by porn. Um, yeah, totally. that, uh, you, you see a lot of that. You see a lot of people sort of moving from one orifice to another without thought. You know, penis is in the vagina, then it's in the rec and the anus, then it's in the mouth, then it's back in the vagina. Hello, cystitis. Well, not only yeah. cystitis, but hepatitis, mm. you know, all of these things moving from one orifice to, to another. But there's a real thing about arse to mouth where you take it out of the rectum and feed them your sort of, uh, their rectal juices co um, covering your penis. And that's a real fetish. Um, and, and does it have a name? Ask to mouth. <laughs> does what it Jennifer. does on the skin. <laughs> and with STIs, what the problem can often be, calling your partners to say, you need to get checked out for this, is then the finger pointing that can begin, which is, well, you gave it to me, well, you gave it to me, which can be very painful and stigmatizing. Yeah, I think that, yeah, obviously being a slag carries these health risks where you might get these things. But how I look at it is lots of behaviours that we, like hobbies we have, carry health risks. Everyone I know who's been travelling in India got diarrhoea. Uh, and, and worse, you know, real like cholera and end up in hospital. We don't like shame them for it. Yes. So yeah, maybe if you're a slag, you're gonna get gonorrhea occasionally. Yeah. But you know, most of these, like vastly, like 99.9% .9 of these cases are treatable and yeah. you will be absolutely fine. Yes, it's like what we were saying with Samantha Jones, it's like the kind of the moral comeuppance, isn't it? It's like, like, we're not like, oh yeah, broke your leg skiing, serves you fucking right. <laughs> no, no, you'll tell you what, and there are those sort of inbuilt prejudices that actually, you know, if you are, if you have a health problem because you are overweight, you got stigmatized. But actually, yeah. if you break your leg or damage your hip because you were skiing, 
you know, it was a middle class accident, and therefore you're fully um, allowed to be um, uh, yeah. supported and looked after. No one says clumsy Giles, terrible, terrible slum. <laughs> <laughs> um, you talk brilliantly about desire. Yes. About the sex break and the sex accelerator. Yes. Which I'd never heard described before. Um, I first read about it in Emily Nagawaski's. Really sorry, Emily, if I pronounced your surname wrong. Um, books, Come As You Are, which I recommend so much to everyone. And if you read my book and like it, then like if you want next level up, uh, that book is absolutely excellent. Um, and yeah, it's a way of, it's basically a different way of describing your sex drive, like how much you want to have sex. And it's a great way of talking about sex with your partner and things that hit your sex accelerator turn you on and things that hit your sex break turn you off. And we've all got different levels of sensitivity with our accelerator and our break. Um, and once you kind of have that structure for talking about sex in your life, it makes it much easier to have more sex because then you'll be like, oh, I don't feel like it tonight. And instead of it just being like, oh, why? You can be like, either not enough is hitting my sex accelerator. I'm not turned on by the situation because we're both in our pajamas watching TV and like I find it hard to get in the mood without the kind of sexy context. Or like too much is hitting my sex break, like I'm worried about work or it's too cold. <laughs> and then you can talk about how to solve those problems and have more sex. There's a brilliant page that you have in the workbook section mm. of the book um, where you remember a sexual experience that you've had that was great. Yeah. and then write down all the experiences or the things that happened before and after. What was the circumstances that surrounded that brilliant sexual experience to think about what accelerated stuff for you? Yeah, and like if you can learn how to recreate that more often in your life, then you'll have more sex. Yeah. Sounds simple. It sort of blew like my that. mind. <laughs> it really blew my mind, though, because I, I honestly don't think I had thought about that before. Yeah. About, well, when what sex has been really, really good and what and why was it so good? What was going on? Was it music? Was it because it was in a dangerous place? Was it because of yeah. the latter? Um, <laughs> <laughs> was, it because, was it because of, you know, the candles or whatever it is? And then thinking about, right, well, how do I go about recreating it rather than just thinking that it's some bygone, one-off experience that I can't do again? I think there's a real narrative that sex should always be spontaneous and like you shouldn't put effort into it and if you have to then it's not as good and that narrative is not healthy for maintaining desire in long-term relationships like you have to put some work into it you have to create the sexy context yes. and that will make your life better not worse. Well, I yes. love the idea of, of being thoughtful about what did get us both going? What was really exciting about the early part of our relationships? What things did we really enjoy doing together and doing those again? And in amongst the conversation about sex accelerator and sex break, you talk a bit about what um, turns us on is mainly often down to culture. So I wonder how we relearn what we do and don't want. Um, I think it's very hard to relearn what turns you on once it's set. I think there's probably like a time when you're like 12 where you're very malleable to the culture around you. The weird kind of genetics and nurture kind of mashed together to create your sexuality. Your love map. Oh, I love it. Yeah, your love map. But once you're about 18, that's probably set in stone. And I think that there's no point trying to change what turns you on. But like, for example, like silicon breasts, like no one is born finding silicon breasts attractive. They don't exist in the natural world. 
But lots of people have a thing for silicon breasts. That's probably because they watch porn or saw pictures of them when they were in that malleable time. Um, and then they, they love them. And that's great for the people with silicon breasts and the people that love them. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. How do you learn that you like kink? I think a really useful exercise for all people ever is to think about what you think about when you masturbate. Because I think for a lot of us, it's quite a kind of subconscious thing where we just like let the images and the scenarios just float in and we never say them out loud. And so we never really like analyze what they mean and what we're thinking about. And it's like, okay, so you, when you masturbate, it turns out you masturbate about being a servant girl in 18th century France. That is not something you can have in your real life. What? <laughs> Shit. <laughs> but what you can do is think, okay, how do I feel when I'm a servant girl in 18th century France? Like, mm. I feel like this forbidden, desirable, submissive little fruit. And you can think, okay, I want to... I, and that you can recreate in real life. Yeah. And then, you know, I think that's how people become kinky, basically. Yeah. Yes. But also not to be frightened of some of the fantasies. Like you do this brilliant stuff about Boris Johnson, Theresa May. <laughs> you don't have to try and have sex with them <laughs> if you're fantasizing about them. No, you yeah. Some of the fantasy can just be in your head and it doesn't necessarily have to be acted out as well. Yeah, most people fantasize about something probably that they can't do in real life. At least they have one sexual fantasy that's like, would be either morally wrong <laughs> or like, very impractical or extremely expensive. Yeah. Alex Fox was talking about her fantasy about aliens. Yes. And because it's Tentacle. actually something you can't yeah. possibly attain. So actually it's more about the emotion and yes, the feeling. exactly that. Yeah, it's about the feeling of like being in an alien world, whatever that means to her. Yeah. And I think we all have those fantasies. And if you, if you try and recreate those emotions in your real life, they are the things that hit your accelerator. And that is like the best way to create the context that you want to have sex in. I don't think there is enough conversation about how you learn to enjoy yourself. 
because some things just seem fixed and set, but actually they've come from somewhere. Mm. And accepting those pleasures and joys into your life rather than we also seem to be pushing away at things that we might actually enjoy. Yeah, and I think there's also like, there's not too much point really analyzing like where your sexual desires come from. Cause I think you're just gonna like end up freaking yourself out. <laughs> Aunt Mabel with the with the sandal or yeah, something. Yeah, exactly. Whatever it was that, like, maybe, you know, because, you know, the human brain is fucked up and people do, like, sometimes you see people that have, you know, certain fetishes and you think, ah, yes, that Catholic school fetish definitely came from this. <laughs> or whatever. And, you know, once you've got it, there's no point beating yourself up about it. Just try and make it a fun part of your life. Or pathologising it too much. But there's a question I really wanted to ask about mm. sending nudes. Oh, yeah, love it. I've never sort of done the actual sending of naked images. Mm -hmm. And I find it interesting that you reference it in the book because it it has become such a part of dating, I think. I sent one this afternoon. Just before I came here. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't checked my inbox. Let me just have a look. (laughs) I find it fascinating that it has become really normal. I think it was really stupid to think that if you gave humanity smartphones, they'd do anything else and like send pictures of their genitals to each other. It's like, oh, this is going to be funny. <laughs> um, and I think it's great for boosting your body image. I think taking nudes and, and getting the reaction, both parts of it, both like taking a picture where you think you look hot and being like, wow, yeah, I look hot and filtering it on, you know, Instagram. You can do that, you know, and then you save it. You don't have to post it. And then you send them off and then you get a really nice reply back. That's dreamy. Yeah. And you're never frightened that they will be used in any way. I think most people, first of all, most people are nice and they won't post your nudes online. Secondly, if someone's horrible and they do, most people, it won't be a life-ruining event. It's just a picture of your tits. It probably won't go viral. They're not that interesting. There are lots of tits already on the internet. You mentioned very sensibly that if you're a teacher, this is probably not a good move. It's not something I would do. I have actually received nudes from teachers. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Maybe that's too much information. I'm not going to just check when you were at school. No, 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 no just no, checking. No. This is like really no, as like an adult dating in the world. So obviously, okay. I mean, if you cut your head off, really, like nothing. Never, never have genital and face in the same image. That's always a, that's always a must. I mean, I have like <laughs> they're out there. All these behaviours carry risks, but I think for me, sending a nude and being a slag, these are risks worth taking for the enjoyment and they're small risks compared to how the media tries to inflate them I think. There is a part that you talk about assault and consent Mm -hmm. and how one person's bad sex is another person's sexual assault yeah and I thought that was really interesting there's um, an illustration you do about condom for example Mm. about someone saying well I asked to use a condom and he entered me without it Mm. and I count that as an assault one woman says, oh, that happens all the time. It's just bad sex. I think it's down to the person who it happens to, whether they want to call what happened to them rape or sexual assault or whatever they want to call it, or if they just want to call it bad sex. Because I think it's a very, it's a very personal thing. And just because you were sexually assaulted, it doesn't mean that you have to feel particularly traumatised by it. As, and just because someone else says that's not sexual assault, that's bad sex, doesn't mean that you have to get over it instantly. We all are different and we all react differently to these things. And I think in this kind of era of hashtag me too, where women are all sharing these stories of stuff that have happened to them, 
much like the, the big case study was the Aziz Ansari case, which was a very typical, was it sexual assault, was it bad sex, kind of blurred lines moment where there was a lot of discussion and women were going, oh no, don't call this sexual assault because this undermines all the women who have been raped. And then there's the other women who being like, this happens all the time and it is sexual assault. And I think it's up to the person who it happened to whether she wants to call it sexual assault or not. Because no one was calling for Aziz Azari to be criminally prosecuted, really, because he, you couldn't be, because it was too much of a blurry case. It, there wasn't a criminal act there. It was, you know, if, even if there was, it, there wasn't evidence. Not all sexual assault cases are going to end up in criminal convictions because life isn't that neat. You said there's a distinction to be drawn between feeling rightly that you've been sexually assaulted and the legal process. Yeah, basically, I think that people get angry with the, like, believe all women rhetoric because they think it means prosecute all men and it doesn't just because a woman says she's been sexually assaulted she probably has in her definition what she experienced was sexual assault and she's been really traumatized to it and we should take her seriously and give her all the help that she wants to process that trauma and get over it that doesn't mean that we should automatically prosecute that man because we still have an evidence-based law system that we want to uphold which is innocent until proven guilty and Sexual assault is often a crime where the evidence is poor by, by its very nature because it's about feelings, really, a lot of the time in the more, like, blurry cases. Sex is basically, like, a, a very complicated way of humans communicating with each other and humans are bad at communicating with each other a lot and mistakes get made and we're never going to fix it. You know, we can only just try and teach people to communicate better during sex, but it's never going to be 100%. These things are always going to happen. And the best thing we can do is just be nice to each other when they do happen. Talking of assault and bad sex and consent, um, I thought it was interesting when you were talking about kink in relationships, Mm. where um, people might say that they like a thing, they want to try a thing, but it might not be that they're going to try or want that thing every single time. Mm. And that consent is an ongoing process that always has to be sort of checked in on, and it can be hot. Yeah, totally. I think consent is almost a boring way of saying dirty talk. (laughs) Like, really, it's just like people get so afraid of talking during sex. And it's something that I think that I want to encourage more people to do and get more people comfortable doing. You know, if you're doing kinky stuff, like you might be feeling emotionally strong and hot that day. And you'd be like, yeah, I can take it. Like, call me a dirty slag, slap me about. Yeah, love it. And then another day you might be like feeling a little bit like fragile. I'm like, you know, I just want like cuddly sex today where like we just stroke each other's hair and tell each other we love each other first. <laughs> and like both those things are valid, nice ways of having sex and you might want different things on different days. And if you're in like an open communication consent kind of environment, consent environment just sounds like so unsexy but like, like it sounds I, like it's got tape all around yeah it. exactly it does like police tape like <laughs> a dirty talk environment where you're talking during sex and you're being like yeah what do you want me to do to you today babe like it's where you're communicating with more than hands and genitals isn't yeah it? You, totally you, 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 you know you, you're talking about it which lots of people find hugely sexy anyway i mean the phone sex thing is huge mm. you're absolutely loving that the fact that they are you're not, you're not only hearing someone's voice, but you're, hearing, you're generating the pictures, the visuals from what they're saying. And actually, if you're doing that whilst you're having physical intercourse with them, you're thinking, God, how many senses are you stimulating at the yeah, same time? Yeah, it's like the kind of last taboo in a way to like, like dirty talk. So it's like, you know, taboos are the sexiest thing. So go for it. 
<laughs> Get over the embarrassment. And, and also, in one fail swoop, manages to make things really hot and uh, consensual. But it also stops people getting scared. I keep having these conversations, of course, again, in the wake of Me Too, of lads mm. going, particularly lads, coming up to me and saying, I'm dating now, and I, and I don't know... Uh, whether I should be asking this girl to come home with me. I don't know whether I should be trying to have sex with her or not. I can't read the signs, the signals. I mean, what the hell am I meant to do in these situations? How the hell do I know? Yeah. And, <laughs> I mean, I had various answers to this question. <laughs> um, but I think that this is a great one, which is that you can incorporate these questions about consent into, into sex itself. It doesn't have to be some mystical set of signals and signs that someone has to pick up on. Of course, body language and... Yeah, it, it, body language is really important. It doesn't need to be just like a, do you want to have sex with me? Yes, <laughs> Sign I do. Here. Sign here. This is all the things I consent to doing in this sexual encounter. I like, don't think there are such things as sexy legal disclaimers. No, exactly. There aren't. Maybe in some, you know... <laughs> I was just I, thinking, I, maybe I can twist somewhere. everything. <laughs> you, you two are way more open-minded. I'm like amazed. <laughs> um, but... If they're asking, do you want to come home with me? And she goes, yeah, I'd love to. Well, that's your first tiny step in that conversation towards consent. And then, you know, do, do, do you want to take your clothes off? That's the <laughs> next bit. It's like, shall I get a condom? That's a pretty easy way yeah. of having the consent conversation. Because if they say, yeah, then it doesn't just mean like blow up in a balloon, are they? Like, <laughs> if you say like, get a condom, it means I want to fuck. Yeah. You don't have to clarify it any further. Now that we've got to the bedroom and now we're going to be fucking, as you said. God, I, I don't know why I find that so difficult to say. It's so embarrassing. <laughs> fucking, fucking, fucking. Fucking, fucking, fucking. Right. <laughs> so now we're condom on, ready to fuck. Um, you mentioned that being a feminist is considered a turn-off in bed. Tell me why. I've never, ever had a sexual fantasy where I was like, and then I tell them I'm a feminist. <laughs> and they're like, Wow. I respect you so much. Please read loud from the bell jar. (laughs) Maybe that's someone's sexual fantasy. Definitely not the bell jar. What a... (laughs) That's going to bring you down. I've never even read it. (laughs) (laughs) But like, yeah, I I don't know how... Like, that's not my sexual fantasy. In my sexual fantasies, like, quite a lot of sexist shit happens sometimes, which, if it happened in my real life, I would fucking blow off about. But in fantasy world is hot and that's okay to have that difference and to have those things contradict each other you can like being called a dirty slut in the bedroom and you can like wanting to feel like you're being objectified in the bedroom and yet want to feel the opposite of that in the office because i think a lot of people feel guilty that they say i want to be thrown around in the bedroom yeah or treat like i don't know yeah to, to be a submissive um but in daily life they're like, oh, no, <laughs> I absolutely am a strong, independent feminist lady and nobody fucks about with me. Yeah, well, I think there's like, in a lot of relationships where if you are submissive in the bedroom, that they don't want that to bleed out into their day-to-day life. Totally, There's no yeah. interest in being submissive when I'm choosing the curtains. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, however, absolutely in the bedroom, you know, tie me up, call me Wilfred, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> whatever, you want to, whatever you want to call your butler or I don't know. Um, but... but, but <laughs> I think I am very nice, 1830s. Um, <laughs> but, but I think there is a, is a big difference for people. And, and I think certainly in the gay world, there is a sense, and I think probably in lots of situations, where everything that you are in the bedroom is not who you are in, real li- in, in, in life in, in lots of ways. It doesn't fully represent who you are. 
So I think if you are allowed to be um, uh, fully expressive of what you sexually want, yet be fully espousing a feminist viewpoint, that doesn't seem contradictory. Totally. I 100% agree. Does it feel very different sleeping with men or women? For me, there's, there's so much difference between every single person you sleep with. That, like, the differences between the women... Is it the same of, of, of all statistics? The, the differences between the women are greater than the differences between the men and the women, the differences between the men. Are. There's been some women that, yeah, have been, like, ultra-submissive in a way that maybe I haven't quite experienced on the other extreme of men, but most people fall in the middle and, you know... I think that every time you sleep with someone, you should not assume anything about what they might want or how they might like it or anything like that, because literally every single person is different. And you don't know what is like underneath <laughs> and what they're going to reveal is their desire and how, what they like to do. And I've learned that, yeah, there are, there are just as many like men out there who like getting spanked, really. And just like there are plenty of women who want to spank you. There are, everyone, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of variety to life, basically. Yeah. I'd really like a bisexual book. A bisexual book? I, I would like you to, please, okay. um, to do one f for bisexuals. What, what, what do I... What, <laughs> <laughs> what do I do? bisexuality that I always think is like... I'm not sure what the unique bisexual experience is, because mo for me, I've had long-term relationships with both men and women. Um, when you're in a long-term relationship with a man, the fact that I fancy women does become slightly irrelevant to my life. Like, yeah, I still fantasize about women occasionally, but from the outside perspective, I'm treated like a heterosexual and I'm living life with all the heterosexual privileges. And then when I'm with a woman, the fact that I still fantasize about Harry Styles doesn't affect my life. Like, to the outside world, I'm perceived as a lesbian and I get all, all of the stuff that goes with that. And so I think the unique bisexual experience is just that you get to experience more of life. And with the lesbian community, mm. is there a sense, I've heard tell of people saying that there's a sense of betrayal somehow, that if a woman then goes off with a man, that somehow they've left their community, the lesbian community? Um, maybe that is got slightly, I think, so I, I was in a three and a half year relationship with a woman, and then I had six months of being single where I mainly dated men, um, just because they're, they're easier to find. <laughs> Ten a penny. Um, <laughs> Uh, and my friends were all very much like, obviously knew that I was, you know, still a bit gay. It's not like my three and a half years of lesbianism just dissolved. Uh, but yeah, I did feel a little bit like a, like a runner lesbian night. And there was a point where I was feeling like a little bit like a, of a fraud. I was thinking like, shit, I've grown my nails really long. And like, I'm here on the door, but I'm shagging a guy back home. And like, but yeah, maybe that is a, a thing to think about. And maybe if I'd carried on and got a boyfriend, then yeah, maybe I wouldn't take up so much space in that community because I'm not living a queer life anymore. I mean, I would because they're my mates. <laughs> I wouldn't be like, no, I cannot go to the club night anymore because I have a boyfriend, but I probably wouldn't bring my boyfriend. Yeah. Because yeah, like if you're living a straight lifestyle, then maybe it's not good to impose that on a gay space, I think. Can you tell us about your lesbian night? Yeah, sure. It's called Aphrodite. Um, Brilliant. It's great. It's, the, it's a club night I always wanted to go to, and now I get to go to it minus two hours where I have to work on the door. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a sweaty basement filled with, I would say, 290 women and 10 men. 
Um, and what are the ten men doing there? Oh, usually snogging each other. <laughs> yeah, and everyone just has a good time. Sounds great. <laughs> you can buy Flo's book, How to Have Feminist Sex, a fairly graphic guide, published by Particular Books from Waterstones, Amazon and all good bookstores. Thank you for listening to The Pleasure Podcast. If you enjoyed this, do share, review and subscribe on iTunes. It really does help other people find us and gives the series a boost. Give us five stars, you lovely lad. Thank you to Acast for hosting us. Matt Peaver for editing us. Ollie Birch for the music. And Gilad Vysotsky for the graphics. Join us next time when we interview another guest for their insights on the relationship we have to our bodies, sex and of course, pleasure. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.